sports yak. Oh, One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here. And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer. This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever. Do you like sports? Because we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Shack. Sports Shack. It's Sports Shack. Welcome back, film fans, to a brand new episode of Quality Check Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daniel Posey, and joining me, as always, from across the internet, is Drew Douglas. I got my cowboy hat on. I got my spurs on. I'm ready to talk about the new Clint Eastwood. As Drew, you said, we are talking about Clint Eastwood's new film for Warner Brothers. He's sticking with them, even though Chris Nolan is out and switching Universal. Uh, what's, what's hilarious is we joked. We we're like, he Eastwood doesn't even know what HBO Max is. <laughs> His thoughts on streaming are, I don't even, I don't get it. But he has an opinion, and he mm-hmm. wants you to see this in the theaters where they belong. Yeah, and that article that you sent me, where Eastwood is talking about movies and not only crime macho, but just kind of where we are, it was fascinating. I've, I've, I find Eastwood to be such a fascinating character and you know like what we were saying he probably is like hbo max what but yeah i just think that everything about eastwood you know whether or not you agree with the man and what happens off screen or whenever you're not watching one of his movies i feel like that's neither here nor there in terms of you know as a filmmaker he's just such a such a unique person and there was an article today that went up that no one does it quite like Eastwood and let's go ahead and dive right into it talking about Clint Eastwood's brand new Cry Macho. Cry Macho was released on Friday September 17th simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max. The film is written by Nick Schneck which is a collaborator I should say frequent collaborator with Eastwood on movies, including The Mule and Grand Trino. And it's based on the In Richard Nash book. This movie was uh, created on the budget of $33 million, and it only made $4.4 million in the opening weekend. Now, comparing that to The Mule, 2018, obviously, that happened three years before the pandemic hit us. Um, I should say two years before uh, the Mule went on to make $103 million at the domestic box office. Also comparing that to The Mule, the Rotten Tomato score for Cry Macho is currently sitting at 54% among the critics, and The Mule ranked 71%. Now, one thing that, uh, before we start recording, Drew, I put in The Mule there because I feel like of any movie that Clint Eastwood has done, that is probably the easiest to compare it to because that was the last film that Eastwood had directed and also starred in. And quite frankly, I thought that was going to be the last one. But instead, he comes out with Cry Macho, which he's been working on getting this to the big screen for several decades. And this script has also made its rounds in Hollywood 
let's go ahead and get into our loves hates for cry macho. What do you have to say about this? Do you loves or hates cry macho? Man, this is tough because I don't think this is a bad movie, but this is some low tier Eastwood. I think the biggest issue that I have with this movie and tell me if you agree or disagree. It's what I'm going to call the casting conundrum. (laughs) We know that Eastwood right now is 91 years old. Now, going into this movie, I thought this is perfect for the story. It is about a former rodeo star, played by Eastwood, who's hired to reunite a young man in Mexico with his father in the U.S. Okay, so you got me there. I'm like, okay, this makes sense with Eastwood's history on film, where he is now. Watching this movie, he he's not right for the main role, in my opinion. He's way too old. He's probably, I would say, 15 to 20 years over the age that I would envision this character. It's it, This has been in some sort of pre-production phase, development phase for decades. And at one point, Schwarzenegger was on board to star in this. I don't think he would have been right for this. Hmm. But at the time, he was probably in his mid-50s that makes sense to me. And if I, I was thinking, man, who who would have been better suited to star in this movie? And the only name that kept coming up in my head over and over again, and it, it makes sense with Eastwood directing, would be Bradley Cooper. Can you, and I know he's a little too young. I think the whole thing would be more believable than a 91-year-old man who <laughs> <laughs> scoots around and throws punches and there's a relaxed vibe to Eastwood sometimes where I don't know if he cares what he's doing. We've talked numerous times about how he's like a one and done director when it comes to takes. He's very efficient and I could not help but feel that really, really strongly watching this movie where it felt like they had just on a whim went out and shot this in about a week and that goes even (laughs) to some of the scripting things. I'm like, this does not feel like there's been numerous passovers. It was like a one, I'm going to give you the weekend to write the script, and then we're going to shoot next week. We're just going to get this cranked out as fast as possible. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that about the scripting because even though I feel okay about Eastwood playing as the main star, it's fascinating because leading up to this movie, I kept thinking... I'm not going to have a problem with that. But like you said, it's almost like 15 to 20 years. He's 15 to 20 years too old for this. I would argue almost 30 years because this, especially with the story of Mike, who Eastwood plays in this, it's the story of where this former rodeo star breaks his back I think you could even go younger, you know? Yeah, you need to be like early 40s, mid 40s at the most. You're right. He, it should be Bradley Cooper's age, someone that age. Yeah, it's, it's almost like their career was stripped away from them too soon because of that. And I could see where you leave that out and it's just someone who is a big deal in his time and now he's not a big deal because of all of these uh, issues that he's going through, which, by the way, heads up, I uh, hit that uh, pause button for spoilers if you have not seen the film, or you can just keep listening to us talk about uh, Cry Macho and all the glorious spoilers that will ensue. But uh, 
Uh, with that, you know, one thing that I will say in terms of with the character that we get, I, I, I wish that this script was tighter because that's my biggest complaint over Eastwood in this role uh, and over the casting conundrums. Although, although I will say that is an issue, a major issue. And at times it shows significantly. And I think it really shows, weirdly enough, among, among Dwight Yoakam in the very beginning of this film, because I think it not only is the, the actor or the other actors in this film, but also the scripting just seems so stifled and stiff. And it's almost like these cardboard cutouts and an imitation of what it really wants to be. And for a story that was based on a book and has technically had decades to improve, it feels like it's, like you said, kind of thrown together. And that was so frustrating because about 10 minutes in or less, I was thinking, man, they've had so long to get this together and yet it doesn't feel like that at all. Like you said, it feels like a weakened project. And that's frustrating because I feel like this story and especially the back half of it, I was really getting into. I really dug it. And that part I enjoyed. The very beginning seemed as if it wanted to imitate a lot of movies that we've already seen. I do enjoy this almost odd couple style road trip into Mexico and set during this time period. I think there are some interesting things that Eastwood was trying to say visually. Some of the shots in here obviously makes me think the guy hasn't lost it. And there are moments too with his acting with Eastwood that I love to see, especially no one spouts off lines like, I don't care if you drink battery acid, I like <laughs> Clint Eastwood. I mean, is he good in this though? Because I, honestly, mm. not that I I need a character that is wacky and fun, <laughs> but there's he just says everything in the exact same tone. I don't know. I didn't love him in this. Maybe I need to watch it again. I I just don't. I he's not right for this. Yeah, I I think you are definitely hitting the nail on the head with that. I don't think Eastwood's right. And that pains me to say that because I love, I love me some Clint, uh, both in front of the camera and off camera. But there, there are some shots like whenever he's in the cowboy hat and he's like going to sleep out in the desert. And there's a shot of his silhouette against the sunset. And I yeah. love that shot. So there's good. Some, some very pretty shots in this. I would say Eastwood's not the only one that, I think hinders this movie performance-wise. We, I call it the Gran Torino effect, where some of the actors in that movie are not good, and it makes you wonder what is the process behind casting. Mm -hmm. Why are you choosing the people that you choose? Are you intentionally doing it because you are better than them, <laughs> and you're only going to outshine them? Because the the young boy in this, he's not terrible in this. Yeah, there are times when you watch him though, and you're like you are trying too hard. Yeah, I I think it's exactly what you said. Sadly, there are moments where through this movie, I it is like he was trying too hard, but also more than that is it's to a degree, I think falls on Eastwood's shoulders as a director. And but he only wants one take. Yeah, and then beyond that, I think that 
does hurt the film and not just this film, but also like you said with Grand Trino, at times it's it's almost maybe too lax in that approach where I think with reining in not just his performance or, or Eduardo, it's just more along the lines of giving him a little different direction. And I think we could have gotten something better out of this, but... I mean, it doesn't uh, help that the script has some, I would say, really bad dialogue. The dialogue stinks at times really <laughs> at bad. Times, I'm telling you, this feels as if he wrote it in a weekend. <laughs> or maybe he wrote it long ago, and it sat on a shelf, and they pulled it out, and they didn't revise it in any way. They were just like, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be fine. Let's just oh, go man. do this for fun. Yeah. I think, story-wise, I like the basic thread of this movie. It's It's kind of the mule in that it's a road trip, not buddy comedy, but you get what I'm saying. Pretty close to it, yeah. But there's no meat to the bone. Like, this is an A to B plot that when the dramatic stakes are raised, it is literally wiped away almost instantaneously several times by the <laughs> rooster saving the day. Oh, my word. It's the equivalent of you introduce a gun in Act 1. You know that it's going to come into effect by the end of the film. <laughs> they introduce this freaking rooster named Macho. <laughs> and that rooster, I'm not kidding, saves the day at least twice, defeats the bad guys. And I couldn't believe, I was like, there's no dramatic stakes in this film. Anytime something feels like it's ramping up, it's immediately, immediately eliminated. And by the end of this film, the bad guy is literally taken out by a rooster. <laughs> Eastwood says goodbye to the kid who reunites with his father, who is a huge bastard, by the way. Yeah. Both his mom and dad are terrible people. So it's like, who are you? One beats you. The other one is using you as bait to get whatever he wants, which is weird. There are no good guys outside of Eastwood. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, his love interest. And then Eastwood literally goes back to the Mexican, Mexico town that he was hunkered down in for however long this story took place. And he, he falls in love. And there's no... It's just, it's so weird. And I felt this way about The Mule. The Mule is ripe for a lot of really awesome dramatic moments. And that at least has a somewhat interesting story with Bradley Cooper and Michael Pena. Mm -hmm. They're on the prowl and they're after him and it all eventually comes to a head. This has that to a degree, but the villains aren't very interesting. And again, the tension just doesn't go anywhere. It's frustrating. It's super mm -hmm. frustrating. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you in everything that you said there. And I would argue, too, there are moments with, like, say, Marta that was good, but even when he's, like, leaving and walking away, it's almost like she's forgiving him on her doorstep. And it's like, oh, oh, I mean, uh, okay. The other issue with his age is I don't know how old Marta is in this film. She's not 91. Why is she <laughs> yeah. falling in love with a dude 25 years older <laughs> than her? Is attractive woman falls in love with Eastwood. And it's only because it's Eastwood. Again, more realistic if we had somebody 20 years younger. Yeah. I found that I found that whole thing sweet and interesting, and I like the detour where he falls in love or is able to find someone to connect with again, you know, years after the death of his wife. I just didn't buy it because he's 91. Yeah, um, 
that's the thing that I kept. It's funny because it's almost like there was a review for an album on Aerosmith's last album and the Rolling Stones' last album. And there was a critic who said for both albums separately, you know, it's really hard to buy these older guys talking about Chasing Poon or something like that. <laughs> and it was very close. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty close to what they said. And with that, I always had that in my mind, stuck in my mind, while watching this movie. I kept going back to that review of that because, I mean, borrowing the same concept, and it's where, more or less, she swooned, Marta is is swooned by Clint Eastwood. I mean, who wouldn't be? But at the same time, no, there's a not disbelief. At this point. She meets <laughs> Marta meets Mike, and it's like instant chemistry, and it yeah. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Not that you can't fall in love with someone older. I just didn't buy it. Another thing, we always I love brevity in films. This is basically an hour and a half long. Mm -hmm. Usually, that's fantastic. I, I they should have amplified and spent more time on the relationships and added the drama a little bit more, uh, the tension, like get, just pump this with some steroids, please. Yeah. I think there's definitely a lot more where you'd be able to improve upon this film, but also like the very beginning seemed, even though there were some shots of Eastwood driving in the truck, there were I'm like, I don't really know that we needed that, you know, in the very beginning where he rolls in and then, Dwight Yoakam chewing him out, and then that's it. And we just have one scene. I didn't quite understand that. And that, I, I mean, I know it's all exposition, but I would have been okay with, we drop in and we see Eastwood walking into his home and we don't know who this guy is. And he's like, you owe me. And then it's like, oh, okay. Well, how is that that is, he owes you and then maybe use parallels to the story of where eastwood is saving this kid to parallels of where eastwood was in his life before and someone tried to save him or help him and he like ignored everything or something like that i don't know like i just felt like there are so many different directions they could go to as you said add meat to the bones but also make make it seem more impactful and it's kind of frustrating because the more I talk about this, the more I'm finding myself getting slightly pissed off about it. I mean, you should. This, Like I said, the plot of this is fine. It's let's sit in a room for two days and just find a way to boost this up a little bit. It's what's missing. Yeah. I like the idea. Again, this is a, a theme of Eastwood's in recent years of I'm going to look back on my life and who I am 30 years ago is not who I am now what I think it is to be a man in my 20s and 30s, I don't, that's not me anymore. I don't understand that. And you can pass that wisdom on. I wish we got a, a little bit more of that. What is your favorite thing about this? Like, do you have a favorite thing about this other than, I mean, it's not, you, we, I don't know, I've been ripping this for 15 minutes and it's not, honestly, it's not a bad movie. Yeah. It, it's a frustrating watch. That's Yeah, that's the best way I would describe it, too, because there are moments of this where I found myself genuinely charmed by it and enjoying it. I honestly think the best parts were where Eastwood was, as I jokingly said at the beginning of this podcast, of him being, quote unquote, Dr. Doolittle, uh, which that line got me. And I laughed out loud in that. But 
I mean, I found myself enjoying that more. And it's where he was like trying to bestow his wisdom upon this young boy and like break him, calm him down. You know, I think some of those, that symbolism would have been great. And it started to touch on it and it didn't quite go there. But I think my favorite thing, the MVP for me of this really is some of the cinematography, but also the shots, the way that it's set up. And it made me think, well, I'm sure that has a lot to do with the director of photography, but at the same time, Eastwood knows, I mean, he's, he's the one, the one directing this and he's, have he's having to uh set this up himself and if he didn't have that then the movie would have stunk uh now ben davis shot this film and ben davis is a cinematographer who uh has worked on most recently dumbo captain marvel three billboards outside of, of ebbing missouri doctor strange I think there's tons there some, of Marvel stuff. Yeah. Like from he did Guardians, Age of Ultron, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel. He did Eternals. He's like the uh MCU. Well, I mean that's not a lot of movies in the grand scheme of that entire universe, but But still it is interesting. Player. A lot a lot of big budget films. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean this is a good-looking movie. I used you, you you say the budget is 33 million dollars. I how yeah. It's like 25 million of that to Eastwood. I don't <laughs> understand how you're spending $33 million to make this movie. Yeah. And that's looking at this, it does not look like that kind of movie. It looks like a stripped down, I mean, five to 10 mil type movie. And I, I mean, so there's that. And I think, as you said, I don't think this is a bad movie. I just find myself frustrated because I do like it. Um, I do consider it to be a decent movie, but a frustrating one for sure. Now, is there a favorite thing that you have with this movie? No, I, I mean, I do admire the breezy way that this movie just kind of flows along. Uh, at the end of the day of his recent movies, outside of maybe the 15, 17 to Paris, this is, I think, his worst and I mean, honestly, there are many films and many stories for Eastwood to to tell. I'm I'm a firm believer in that. I think that he's he's got it in terms of piecing together story, but it's got to be the right story, the right script. And I ultimately, I I just have to say, it's the script that ended up failing him here. And I agree with you in terms of. Uh, this being bottom tier Eastwood, I have not seen 1517 to Paris, but that's a movie that I can only imagine will be toward the bottom. But this sadly is at the bottom of the list of movies. I thought Richard Jewell was a great movie. There are a few problems I do have with that movie, but overall, I mean, my goodness, you releasing that movie when you're 90? I mean, geez. Um, or, or I guess at the time was he 89? I think he just turned 90, right? Um, I mean, but, it came out in, yeah, 2019, yeah. He, he, 89, 90, either way. Still, though. And, that's wild. Yeah. I mean, and, 1517 gets knocked around a lot because it uses the actual people, mm-hmm. non-actors that were involved in that incident in the film. I think that alone raises it a little bit because it's such an interesting experiment on Eastwood's part. And and that's the same for like this movie. He 
a, a story that's been, you know, kicked around the dust several times, many times, in terms of trying to get developed, and then he does churn this out. I also wonder, is this perhaps a product of the COVID era? Meaning, did he return to this because this was maybe a little easier to make? Because I, a lot of the behind the scenes photos that I keep seeing, it's of them on set and they're all masked up and they're working on this film in the middle of the pandemic. So is that perhaps seen as an easy get by Eastwood, but also perhaps Warner Brothers? There are a lot of questions I have with that in terms of how much of an influence did that have on the release of this film or just the making of it. Did you like, now going back to The Rooster, did you <laughs> did you think that was stupid or not? Yes, I did. There just was, like how, I, it happened numerous times, like by the second or third time, I was like, you got to be kidding me at this point. Like, how is that? How is this in your screenplay? <laughs> there were... I think the first time I thought, okay, all right. I, I'll give I, you one of those. Yeah, exactly. And I thought I can overlook that. I'll turn the cheek, my cheek and say it's, you know, the movie's called Cry Macho and the, the rooster's named Macho. All right. But then especially the end when that happened, I, um, I literally rolled my eyes. I'm like, this is absurd. That, that was the most ridiculous thing ever. And considering the guy, the henchman, pounds his fist in the dirt and yells, <laughs> no. Oh, wow. It's so dumb. So he did, uh, Eastwood did um, Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima, which is looking at the war from two different points of view. Mm -hmm. What if he did, so he did Cry Macho. What if he does a version and it's from the Rooster's POV? <laughs> And that it, might be an entertaining watch. And it's called Macho's Cry. So one thing, okay, two things here. One, what in the world does the title mean? Oh, I, you know, I thought that was a play on words for Cry Macho of Say I'm Macho. And I know, obviously, Eastwood had sometimes subtly and sometimes not so subtly said that the meaning of macho or machismo is to him at this point in his life, not meaningless, but it means something entirely different. And the way I see it is that him saying macho and the meaning of macho, not just for the rooster, but the actual definition of what macho is, comparing that to what the boy, how he says it and what it means are two different things. But not just that, but what does it mean for other people as well? What does it mean to be macho for standing up for what you believe in and what you feel you, uh, what something that means a lot to you? So Marta, for example, uh, her basically taking them in and comforting them, giving them shelter, that kind of stuff. And uh, wanting to bang Eastwood. <laughs> Like yeah, from the get-go, just straight up wants the bang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that uh, that's another thing. It's like the rooster flying up in the face of the henchman, distracting. Uh, it's another thing that's hard to really overlook. But, you know, uh, that's that's kind of the way I see for Cry Macho. But what is, do you have a, a different take on it? I have no idea. 
I'm going to have to read the book. Maybe it's explained a little better. So I'm looking <laughs> at, on Letterboxd, I am watching and or re-watching all of Eastwood's films and ranking them. Mm-hmm. I've only done 14 of 44 at the moment, directorial films, I should say. Uh, I have Cry Macho Dead Last. <sighs> wow. I mean, I, I think even after I've seen 44, all 44, it's going to be, I don't know if it'll be the very bottom, but it's going to be very low. Yeah. But again, a movie I, w- I would probably watch again at some point. It's not mm-hmm. a a train wreck. So, you know what? Even if you're number 44 on Eastwood's ranking list, it uh, doesn't mean it's the worst film ever made. It's just low tier CE. Yeah, that's that's a good point or a good way to put it because I would say the same. Now, you've seen more current Eastwood or for his 44 directing films. I am... Uh, I'm fewer films into that, but uh, my like I told you, leading up to watching this movie, I really want to take a deep dive into Eastwood's entire collection. And I will say this has not detracted me from that. I will return it. I will definitely return to this movie. Not anytime soon, though. Do you think so? You didn't get to didn't get the chance to watch this with your dad, and I know Mm -hmm. you will watch Eastwood films with your with your old man. Uh, do you think he'd like this one or? I don't know. That's that's what makes it even more interesting because he really dug the mule. There were there were moments with the mule where obviously my dad said that he felt like there could have been some, I don't know, just some added bits in there to make it a little bit better. Uh, he really dug Richard Jewell. I think maybe I liked Richard Jewell a little more than he did. But I... I don't know what what he'll say about this movie. So I am curious to watch it with him. Uh, he's, obviously, I grew up watching Eastwood movies with my dad. And so we share that love. And not just of Spaghetti Western Eastwood, but of all Eastwood. And I remember, and this is weird, but going back to one of the, what to me was at the time, a movie I didn't like at all, but it was Mystic River. We went to see oh, that. Oh, yeah. I don't understand why you didn't like that at any point. Well, so whenever I first saw it, I'm like, I, I did not like this movie. And uh, so at the time, I come from a small town. We had only one theater, and we were lucky to have one theater on top of that. But it was pretty new at the time that Mystic River came out. And I went with my dad. And it was walking out of that, I didn't know what to think. But from that point forward, it started me on this journey of discovering Eastwood as a filmmaker, not just as an actor. And Mystic River Ranks is one of my favorites of all time. I think it's so, not just of Eastwood, but of all films. I just, I have such a a, a deep love for that film on many different levels that uh it's it's interesting looking at Eastwood as a filmmaker now. And so that was toward the beginning of when I started to share kind of that love of watching Eastwood with my dad because I always loved getting his reaction after the fact. But I know one, you know, after we watched Richard Jewell and The Mule, I was able to get his hot take immediately walking out of the movie. So that was always fun. But well, so how many cowboy hats would you give this out of five? Mm, a, a very generous three. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that's what I thought before the it movie. Roosters. Ended. 
Oh, roosters, how many, yeah. How many roosters out of five? It's going to be three cocks. Oof. The, <laughs> oh, that line in the movie is whenever Eastwood says, I don't mind uh, if you want to call your cock uh, macho or something <laughs> like that. That's the one, that's when he wanted at least to do four to five takes. He really wanted to nail that <laughs> yeah. one. Everything else, everything else was one and done. You you could end up seeing uh, <laughs> you you could see the gleam in his eyes when he's saying that line too. It's so good. Um, you, you know he loved it. He was eating it up. So I'm giving it three cocks out of five. How many? What are you doing? Uh, you know I'm gonna have to say two and a half. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, I know it seems so low, but. I, I was thinking three, but at the I think it was that last rooster save that really took it down half a rooster for me. Yeah. So looking at Eastwood's filmography, directing-wise, Academy Awards, uh, what was his last movie Ooh. to get over two Academy Award nominations? And do you know how many? Would it be American Sniper? That is the right movie. It was nominated for how many? Say four. I'll say four. It was six. Ooh, wow. Million Dollar Baby comes in second with seven. Unforgiven with nine. <sighs> Unforgiven is one that, you know, I'm wanting to not only watch more Eastwood films for my rankings, um, but also rewatch some of these. And Unforgiven is one that I want to watch again. I watched Gran Torino again a couple weeks ago. One I still like a lot. And um, yeah, there's a bunch on this list that I just haven't seen. Yeah. Which is a shame. But some some of them are harder to find. HBO Max is really good because he's been in bed with WB for Mm -hmm. decades. So a lot of his stuff shows up on that service, which helps out. It just happens to be a lot of stuff I've already seen. Yeah. Yeah, and I love that there is that collection now that they've added. Because we were talking about that whenever HBO Max started. We're like, there needs to be a Clint Eastwood collection. And they they just started it. So, thank goodness. It's it's a decent one. And they have, if anyone's interested, a collection of like 10 to 15 minute pieces on Mm. different aspects of Eastwood's career, which is pretty interesting. And it, it just goes to show you how important his legacy has been to Hollywood. Uh, so it's, it's really, it's a lot of interesting pieces on there. I would like to now present something that we have not done in a while. And that is the movie review game. Ooh. <laughs> You're going to be in the hot seat. And if you are unaware of what the movie review game is, that's where Drew and I will end up going over Four reviews, and Drew has to find the fake. Man, I do do really bad with this game. (laughs) I thought this would be fun uh, to end up pulling up, especially on Cry Macho, because I was very surprised about some of the reviews that I came across, but they're all relatively short. Drew, you're going to be in the hot seat. You have to find the fake, and if you win this, you will be featured as a rooster in the upcoming sequel to Cry Macho. So, are you ready to play the movie review game? I am. I'm All like right. over nine on this game, which is why <laughs> I always do it for you. But uh, yeah, let's do it. 
All right, here we go. Uh, I'm I'm excited to uh, to say to just go over these. So, all right, let's go ahead and start with number one. Cry Macho is a tight piece of filmmaking with a few rough edges. Okay. Number two, like a wild bronco, Eastwood remains just as unpredictable as he ever was. <laughs> I don't see how that's real, but okay. <laughs> Number three, Cry Macho has his crying uncle long before the underwhelming conclusion. Yeah, that seems legit. <laughs> I'm crossing that one off. That's a legit one. In the fourth and final, this isn't the best Eastwood movie, but it's far from the worst. Man. I, my gut says D. I'm going to lock that in. No hesitation. All right. So the one that is this sense in the best Eastwood movie, but it's far from the worst. Yes. You are continuing with the streak of oh striking God. out. Oh, my God. Is it the first one? No. It's number two, like a wild Bronco. Eastwood remains just as unpredictable as he ever okay. was. I'm, and I, I question that, too, because how is did. this movie unpredictable? <laughs> there's a moment in this movie where he's riding a horse by the way that is clearly it's one of the cheapest looking things um that he's put to film in a maybe ever <laughs> it's so bad <laughs> there's that and then there's a moment early in the movie when we slowly pan to like a newspaper clipping and it comes alive it looks terrible it's terrible it's so dated terrible yeah. choice terrible 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 yeah, the I was gonna say I did enjoy the moment where he's trotting along on the horse and he's next to um to Eduardo and he's trying to break the the horse that's inside of the pen and Eastwood's on the outside just trotting along on the horse. But I mean props to him for getting on horses. No kidding. Apparently it's been thirty years since he's been on a horse on film, that is. So since Unforgiven. Do you think he had to sign something to be like, oh. if if you are thrown off this and you break your back or you die, <laughs> like, we cannot be sued for this because you're 91 years old. I, w I wonder if uh, he told WB that he's like, screw that, and he lit that contract on fire and got <laughs> on the horse immediately after. He just cussed him out. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Oh, well, that's going to be it for this episode of Breaking Down Plenty Woods Cry Macho. Hopefully you all join us for the next episode where Drew flips the script on the movie review game to get his revenge. Until next time, keep watching. <laughs>